0: Thank you for joining the podcast for Beyond the Banter. Before we get started, you need to know some important information. If you need support immediately, please reach out to one of the following organisations: Lifeline on one three one 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 four, Beyond Blue on one three zero zero two two four six three six, or Men's Line Australia on one three double zero seven eight nine. 978 If your life is in danger please call 000 immediately Uh, g'day everyone, uh, welcome back to um, Beyond the Banter, you're here with Chris and myself Topher. Uh, we have a pretty exciting episode today uh, where we get to talk to a nutritionist, a psychologist and a exercise physiologist, which I think is just a physio, I don't know if there's a difference and I'm sorry if there's not, um, but I think that's what it is. Uh, so we hope to get some really good content out of today, uh, we've got a few little leading questions. And hopefully that'll head off into a few different paths uh, as we get going. Um, We're going to start with, actually, before I say that, I I do want to acknowledge an old school friend of ours, uh, Noni, uh, Mm -hmm. who works for Prestige Health Services Australia. When we posted our first, I think it was almost our first comment online. I think it was, yeah. uh, Noni reached out to us straight away and said, I think we can help you. Um, from her from that entity and through that she was able to put me in touch with uh, Rosie and Ben who are joining us today uh, and I can't thank you enough noni for doing that and being a part of this journey with us um, she didn't come on camera and I think um, she's put she's that off onto others which is fine but we might have to try and twist her arm in the future mm-hmm. um, but we'll start with you Rosie so welcome on board and thank you for joining Um Let's just start off a little bit and just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're, we've had a little chat before here and you've sound like you've got a good story. So uh, feel free to to delve into what you want to tell us.
1: Yeah, so I guess I came into psychology in a bit of a roundabout way. I actually did two years of a nursing degree before I jumped over and changed ships. I have a lot of respect for nurses after doing the two years. Personally, it wasn't something that I was able to actually manage inside of. And I think that was probably the first time that I started to see what mental health could actually be like for a lot of people. Changed over and found a new direction so that I could could continue to help just from a different space. So I guess that's probably what brought me here at the moment. Thanks to Noni, I've been working with first responders for the last few years, which I'm incredibly passionate about. And as I was kind of saying to you guys before as well, men's health has been something that I've always felt quite devoted to. I've done the Push for Better Challenge a couple of times now where you, over an entire month, you do a certain amount of push-ups that correlates with, unfortunately, the amount of suicides that we had the year before. So it's been something that... I hold quite near and dear, particularly also educating people so that they've got some tools themselves to be able to manage their own mental health.
0: So, how many push-ups is that?
1: The first year is again very sadly uh, two thousand five hundred, and the second year I can't remember the specific amount, but it did go up by I think about one hundred and thirty more. Yeah,
0: so that's quite a lot of people impacted uh, as a branch out. From that a lot as well. of impact.
1: Very much so. And very sadly, the significant portion of that number was men, not females.
0: Well, that's a, I mean, we're probably going in a slightly different branch here, but um, I read that the stats are something three to one, men versus women. Correct. Um, yep. Which is quite significant, right? And that has to come back to
2: what we're here for, which is talking about it. We, we don't understand it. We. You know, this is what we find very frustrating. This is the driving force behind doing this is we just don't understand that stat. I mean, we've uh, shared our history and, and our battles and, and issues. And if anyone wanted to come and talk to me about anything or if they wanted to know what I've been through, it's, for me, it's natural. I, I don't have an issue with it. Um, so for me, when I, when I hear that number and that stat, I just I just shake my head. Um, What rattles me the most and gets me down is when you hear about it in in the media, if it's a high profile person or whatever, and, and they've failed to open up or they haven't felt comfortable opening up and it's too little too late and you wish you could have that time back and this is the driving force behind this whole idea that we're, we're trying to get to. I've
0: got about 20 questions for you right now,
2: Rosie, but oh, that's in a
0: totally different a episode. Circling. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we'll be we here can for, have for, back two back day, for two days. So yeah. I, th- I think we'll have to try and bring it back to, to topic a little bit because yeah. what I wanted to bring you on board today for was around uh, this episode, as I said, is about nutrition, sleep, and exercise and how they affect our moods. And sleep in particular, in my view and in my experiences has played a massive part on how I've been able to cope. So over to you to give us a little bit of an explanation on, on why that is.
1: I guess I'll very, very quickly demonstrate why sleep is important. What happens to a baby or a child if they don't sleep?
0: Oh look, I've got a you've got a four and a six year old, I've got a yeah. four and a two year old, so I know very well yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what happens
3: chaos. <Kales>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and we're all just big kids, as much as you wanna deny it or call it whatever it might be, we just got taller, our brains stayed the same, the functionality stayed the same. And the same way with kids that you see this kind of real big pendulum swing from like drunk and giddy to psychotically angry those huge swings that kids do we do them as well and I guess that that very quickly shows the deep stabilization of what happens with our mood and our emotions when we don't get enough sleep sleep is a pivotal part of being a human you need seven to nine hours everyone varies a little bit differently and everyone varies a little bit differently on what time they go to bed I'm in 8.30 bedtime every single night. At 8 p.m. I'd go to bed if my husband would let me. (laughs) But apparently that makes me too much of an old (laughs) fart.
0: My wife in bed at 8.30, she's the same. Whereas, uh, you know, at 10.30, she gets up and says, why are you still up? yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's really different. And that comes from an evolutionary thing. If you think about back when we were tribe people, it wasn't safe for all of us to actually go to sleep at the same time. So it was why Mother Nature did kind of set up different circadian rhythms for different people. I think that's a point I never thought of. Yeah, yeah, it's
3: very interesting.
2: Mm. Yeah, because you know you always hear, oh, everyone's wide the same, or everyone's mm. you know the same. Why is it affecting you and not affecting me? But. It sort of makes sense. I, um, I, I've i struggled with sleep as well and it's led to um, a few of my um, issues around anxiety and, and depression. And um, what I was saying to Chris just earlier this morning um, that the first telltale sign that I can see that I know something's wrong is when my sleep's disrupted or um, I have that real sickness and feeling in my stomach and I can't go to sleep. I know straight away that something's wrong, and I know that I have to get to a doctor and have a chat to him and, and get on that sort of path. So for me, uh, before kids, I would sleep maybe 10 hours every night. I was very much like that. But it's weird because over time, I've sort of adjusted down a little bit now, and I, I, I'm okay with six hours, five hours. I'm okay.
1: I'm going to call you out on yeah? that. okay. Going to call you out okay. on that. And it was something that I definitely knew at some point. Someone would bring yep. up was, oh, what about the people that say that they can have five or six? Yes. Your body has adjusted to that the same way that if you reduced your food intake, it would adjust to it, but it doesn't make it normal. Right. It's, it actually is kind of the equivalent because you're not functioning at optimal level. It's the same kind of thing as somebody that's had a couple of drinks and says that they're fine to drive. It's the same impaired judgment as what that is, right? right. Yeah. Your body learns to, to adjust to it. So, the, for the first
0: year of a new mother, they shouldn't drive.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's such a—it's such a tricky thing, and again. We have changed a lot as a society back when, again, I know I I say tribe people, but that kind of culture that we had back then, particularly with new parents, was that Bob was handed around the tribe so that mum and dad could still get sleep. So it was actually balanced out as opposed to the way that we kind of do it now. But with the seven to nine hours, the things that happen when you don't actually get them can be quite alarming. We know that after... One night's bad sleep, your immunity drops by 75%. Oh, wow. We know that the overreactivity of your amygdala, which is responsible for all your emotional reactions, is overactive by 60%. Wow. The changes that happen are quite significant and extreme.
2: So I've got a question for you then, Rosie. So can you reverse that pattern? Say you have gone down that path for, say, six hours a night and you've gone, you know what? that's just who I am now, that's just what it's going to be. Can you actually reverse yourself, and I guess it all comes down to, to training and, and um, making sure that you're um, having good sleep hygiene and that sort of stuff, but can you can you reverse yourself back to you actually wanting seven to nine hours a night?
1: Absolutely. It's definitely possible to come back to it. I think that one of the biggest myths is that you can catch up on sleep. You, you can't. We're the only species that literally deprives ourselves of sleep and so what that I guess means is that unlike other things that mother nature can build in safety safety nets for us she hasn't needed to build in this coping strategy to account or bank up sleep or kind of develop like some type of credit system where you can stock up and then use it later so yes you can you can retrain your body but you can't catch up on sleep, if that makes
0: so, sense. Yes. I'm the opposite. So yeah. w- when I was younger, I used to love life at about four to five hours a night's sleep. Now my four-year-old can be climbing on me at midday and I'm sound asleep um, and I can get 10 hours a night because as soon as my head hits that pillow, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm done. So I'm the complete opposite.
2: Mm. It's, it's, I find it fascinating, and I, and I reckon sleep in itself is probably like a 10-part podcast, <laughs> really, because you can just pull
1: it. really is, and I guess because it doesn't just affect one area. It affects uh, memory and learning. You need sleep both prior to learning and following learning to consolidate it. It's during REM sleep, which is your dream sleep that your brain actually processes memories and it uses that time to actually consolidate against past experiences. And what it does with that is it helps you problem-solve in your sleep so that you wake up kind of with new approaches or new ideas and how to tackle some of your problems. So if you're suffering from
0: anxiety or depression and then you're suffering from, say, uh, insomnia, that's doubly as bad. Yep. Because you're, you're so losing we, that coping mechanism that you would naturally get while you're in sleep.
1: You are. And it means that, again, it kind of falls into that really bad pattern, doesn't it, that you're not learning to problem solve in your sleep because that's not the quality of sleep that you're hitting. So you're waking up not feeling refreshed, feeling more anxious with less ability to problem solve, and your emotions are overreacting to situations. Which then kind of leads to again more irritability, agitation, anxiousness, um, that kind of constant playing of thoughts in your mind, that then impacts your ability to fall asleep that night.
3: Is that is that why I'm a little bit better at doing a particular activity the next day as opposed to the first day? I always find I know I'm a terrible dancer, and I'm learning some sort of a six-step pattern and. Never get it on the first day, but for some reason the next day without any more practice, I wake up it and feel like I've got it. Yeah. Well,
0: we do that in the workplace as well, don't we? We say, well, when you get frustrated with what you're doing at work and you you three, four o'clock in the afternoon, you go, oh, I'll come back to that tomorrow, and then all of a sudden you get it done in an hour. Mm.
1: Yeah, and it just works because that's the way that fatigue affects us. We It, it was interesting that you said, Chris, that um, you notice that that's kind of the, the turning point Because we have from research, there is absolutely no psychiatric disorder, whether it be depression, anxiety, PTSD. There is no research that shows that any of those disorders don't have impacted sleep. All of them do, all of them have disrupted sleep of some kind.
2: There's a lot there. So,
0: what about things like um, dopamine or oxytocin?
1: So I guess that comes to like that reward system that the brain has. When you don't have effective sleep, it actually impacts the reward system in a bit of a strange way. So it does a bit of a double whammy. It doesn't reward you with that dopamine for normal activities like it normally would because they're underactive. But the things that it does reward you for is things like risk-taking behavior or gambling, alcohol, um, any of those much more unhelpful behaviors that we can sometimes lean to you'll find that your dopamine system is overactive in those areas
0: now i'm not overly i know what dopamine and oxytocin is but um my understanding is that a dopamine effect is a bit like people when they get addicted to facebook it's like how many likes you get you get hits of dopamine is that right
1: yeah it is it's it is a pleasure-based system it could come from hugging a loved one um socializing It can come from anything that your brain is going to view as something to reward you with. And if we set up, because our brain is able to form new pathways, when a certain stimulus, if you want to call it that, or a certain situation shows up and you use a strategy, whatever it might be, but then you feel better afterwards, your brain rewards you because you feel better with dopamine, which reinforces that pathway.
0: And lack of
2: sleep can slow down that yeah. pathway. So, how does how does I guess, and I don't know much about this. And this this is one of the one of the great benefits of doing this is because we're going to learn a lot about it. But so ser, so serotonin. So, what can we talk about serotonin? Because I know when I do notice that um, that turning point in the road, like like I said before, and I can't sleep, and I've gone to see the doctor. They've based the conversation around serotonin and how serotonin levels are just not returning to normal. Can you can you just give a brief, you know, run through what serotonin does for the body and and how it does affect sleep or or mood? I guess
1: it contributes to sleep, so it's part of the agents that actually happen inside of that course of sleep. So when most people are prescribed either anti anxiety medication or antidepressant medication. They're called selective rehibition reuptake inhibitors. So it's assisting with that serotonin being regulated again. And through sleep, sleep actually helps to regulate serotonin, which regulates Right, men.
2: right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I hope so. I, that was a bit wordy.
2: No, it does. <laughs> no. It, it does because, you know, <clears throat> as I said, when, when I do have that first warning sign um i know that if i don't try and get my sleep routine back on track or do everything i can to make sure that um i'm getting enough sleep even though i do wake up and i'm anxious and whatever i know i do have to try and push myself just to even lay in bed and close my eyes and just see what happens so um it's one of the the first things that the gp says to me is that this this is sort of like one of the first steps you need to do so
0: so Rosie, what's what's one of the what's um, how can we achieve better sleep health? Mm. What's something simple that we could tell people listening? I don't know if there's like a four step plan or whether it's like an eight like step sleep, plan. Sleep but, hygiene, I think. Yeah, like sleep what hygiene. what can we do to try and improve our? You know, I've heard things like don't use electronic devices mm. half hour before bed. I've heard, I know mm. with my own kids, if you don't give them a shower before an hour before bed, they will not go to sleep. But if mm. you give them a shower, they pass out. Mm so
1: so the reason that the shower is working is because it's actually acting as the cue and the trigger for the brain that says sleep is about to come so the two biggest things are regularity and routine if you can implement a routine that again as i said your brain builds pathways So when it notices that stimulus or that situation, it acts as an internal cue that prompts the brain to start producing melatonin. Melatonin is your agent that is responsible for initiating sleep. If melatonin doesn't produce, you have no hope of trying to maintain or fall asleep or be consistent in that sleep cycle that moves between that dream state and non-dream state. So I guess... Routine and regularity are the two biggest things. The reason that kids can sleep so well and fall asleep when they hit the pillow is because you as their adult have taught them that routine, which sends the cue to their brain, sleep is about to come. And it starts to settle their nervous system, because you need to have a decelerated heart rate, and your temperature actually needs to drop by one to three degrees in order to initiate sleep too. Right. Having oh, a yeah. hot shower. This
2: is a whole science. Yeah. Point. yeah.
1: having a hot shower actually drops your body
3: temperature wow yeah that that puts me to sleep like almost instantly rosie if i have a hot shower and i come out and it's cold yep jump in bed and i'm out like a light
1: it does it works so effectively that or a hot bath i know it sounds like it'd warm you up but it's actually doing things to your internal body temperature that need to happen and similarly, when you're waking, you need, you need to raise your body temperature by one to three degrees in order to wake. So I guess the regularity of when you go to bed and the same thing when you get up, a lot of people are really tempted when you've had a poor sleep to continue sleeping in the morning and try and catch up. And it's unfortunately one of the bad things that we can actually do. Maintaining a consistent bedtime and wake time will help readjust that circadian rhythm for you're you.
2: Right. It's funny with daylight savings, and it's funny you mention that with the kids. With daylight savings, they know that sort of when it starts to get a little bit darker, that it's bedtime. And since we've had the changes recently of daylight savings, they know that it's you know pushing an extra hour of daylight. So um, they find it hard to go to sleep within that first hour of putting them down until it does get a little bit darker.
1: Um, it's actually really interesting that you mentioned daylight savings because it's quite literally a global experiment that we kind of. Perform on humans, and when we actually lose that hour of sleep, we see a twenty-one percent increase in the amount of cardiac issues globally. Wow! And then, and then the same way in reverse, when we gain the hour, we see a—I think it's a twenty-four percent reduction in cardiac issues, all by one hour. Crazy! My
0: goodness! Wow! I, I certainly never
2: knew that. Yeah, I knew it. I, like I've heard of as well in, the, in, in talking to people around um, and, and with daylight saving changes, but seasonal changes as well and how that can affect um, um, mood and, and some people can't live in cold countries or whatever because um, it brings on.
0: Well, I tend to sleep better in winter, but that, is that because of the, the the lowering of the body temperature?
1: The cold environment.
3: Yeah, I think it's darker, sooner know, as well.
1: Yeah, darker as well. So dark room... Um, reducing that, that exposure to the light is helpful because it does inhibit melatonin production and it also stops and prevents you from being able to hit deep REM sleep, which is where that problem-solving and emotional regulation happens. It's interesting the the seasonal affective disorder is what it's actually called when you have that uh, change in mood I I moved to Manchester in my second year of university. I did kind of like an adult exchange program and I moved over to Manchester. For the first time in my life, I was really forcibly changed to be independent, which was very alarming. I moved in January, which is the heart of winter. I lasted four months before I moved home because I felt I felt so low and so terrible in moon because of the weather. Yeah.
2: I heard it's like a um, a chronic problem for some people where they just have to chase summer because they can't well, handle the winter a good or vice point. versa.
0: And just reflecting on that particular point, I've lived in a lot of places and um, I seem to cope better in uh, Darwin and Brisbane versus when I lived in Melbourne. Mm. The Melbourne winter, I hate it.
2: Yeah, uh, it got dark early, it was cold, it was... It's your body. It's yeah. your human body. It's, yeah. So, Rosie, if, if we had to throw um, a couple of um, key points around sleep hygiene at you, just to get, I guess, um, get people talking about it amongst this podcast and um, with our guests if sleep does come up, is there like a top three or top four sort of tips that you can give um, to be able, not, not just, you know, when everything comes crumbling down to go, okay, I'm going to start practicing this because I'm in a hole and I need to get myself out. But every day of the week to, to maintain that and have that consistency, you know, all year round.
1: So the, I guess the, the regularity and the routine would be the things that try and stick to those as much as possible. There's going to be natural variation. You're still a human. You still have a life. So there's going to be some variation. But if you can try and keep it as consistent as possible go for broke one of the biggest things that i actually tell clients is to retrain your brain for what the bed is actually associated with There's only two things that a bed should ever be associated with sleep and i think we all know the other thing yeah if you're not in it for one of those get out of it stop teaching your brain to come to learn that the bed isn't for sleep or the other thing if you after 30 minutes we don't allow
0: t- we don't allow for our kids and us even ourselves we don't have a TV in our room for that point
1: likewise i would love every now and then to be able to just lie down in bed and watch TV in bed but it's reinforcing that the bed is not associated with sleep and the brain learns that and therefore it will make it more challenging for you when you do want to actually fall asleep i think one of the things as well that we all kind of assume we need to do is stay in bed until we fall asleep. If after 30 minutes it hasn't happened, get up, go and grab a drink of water, do some light stretching. Yes, it's wildly inconvenient that you have to get out of the bed, but it's preventing that learning that will start to become associated if we if we remain in it. I think as well if you If you have been a chronic five to six hour sleeper for a while, don't jump into bed and expect that that's going to change quickly. If you can try and stay in bed or go to bed earlier by 15 minutes at a time, it will very rapidly change over a number of months, but it'll be much more sustainable for you with less frustration and less anxiety about actually going to bed.
2: It's amazing stuff. I mean, you've summed up my whole sleeping habit in this conversation because I end that person that says, oh, it's okay, I've got five hours now. Tomorrow, you know what, I'm going to bed at 8.30. I'm going to refuel, and I'm going to take back some of that sleep. I end that person, and I do that, and I do suffer from anxiety, and it's probably a, a contributing factor to that, um, you know, bringing on those episodes. So um, it's really important. Um, I, I just want to touch on the, the second point around bed. When, when you're um, in that state and, 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 you're, and you're not um, motivated, the, the only thing you do want to stay, you, like the only thing you want to do is stay in bed. So it's such a battle in your head that, yeah, I've got to get out of bed because I don't want to stay in bed all day. However, bed's probably the comfort thing for me right now. I just want to stay here, put the durn over the head and forget about the world sort of thing. So it's very interesting. Um,
0: Well, that probably comes back to that routine. Make your habit of waking up, getting in the shower. Yeah.
2: Well, I shower in the morning, so every morning I shower
1: morning and night. I'm one of those ones. But I guess the very first thing I do in the morning, and it does help actually regulate your sleep and reteach that wakefulness cycle, is getting outside and getting sunlight on your skin in the first, ideally. 30 minutes but up to an hour after waking if you can get some sunlight on your skin it reteaches that circadian rhythm again which will help in the evening even better if you can combine it with exercise i go for a short walk every single morning now, thankfully, I have a Kelpie Cross lap that is an ecstatic little creature.
0: Lots of energy and lots of heat. That's an interesting comment.
1: So much, so much energy and a lot of attitude. So on a Saturday morning when I just want to sit in bed with the coffee, she's right there staring at me. But but getting that exercise in, it will help regulate your sleep in the evening too. Even things like we know that producing Dopamine and serotonin from 45 minutes of exercise a day is the same benefit and effect of antidepressants. So if you can get some exercise in, even when you don't feel like it, implement a 10-minute rule. After 10 minutes, you still really don't want to be doing it. Fine, pull it quits. But most of the time at that 10-minute mark, your brain is starting to release those nice, happy chemicals that we want and need that all contribute to improving your sleep the night. After.
0: Well, you've probably um, provided an excellent segue into oh. going to Ben. Poor Ben's been sitting there listening <laughs> to us talk about sleep. It's been um, very Rosie did say before we started that 10 minutes is not enough, and she's nailed it because we've gone in over 20. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Half an hour, yeah. So I'm sorry, Ben, but that's an excellent segue to come oh, to you. Great. And to that point that uh, Rosie mentioned, I noticed when I was dealing with some mental health challenges that I went down a, an exercise path and nutrition, and I found great benefit from the exercise versus the period that I had some uh, medical um, medication help. So why is that, that exercise is so important to help with mood and, uh, and that dopamine or serotonin or the doctory stuff that I've got to get my head
2: around? <laughs> yeah, no,
3: definitely. <laughs> I think um, it's a big piece of um, the puzzle for mental health. All, all, t- all sorts of health, not just your mental health, but specifically today what we're talking about. Um, as Rosie touched on, we, we have these chemicals in the brain that are responsible for, you know, happiness and exercise. Uh, previously perhaps was sort of as a, maybe just a distraction from, from things that are going wrong in your life, but now more and more emerging research will, will, will show you that actually it does change things chemically in your brain to, to, you know, help you with your mental health. So uh, we touched on those hormones and those chemicals, um, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. Uh, there's one more, that endorphins as well. Endorphins. There's one more that I'm thinking of. All of these things um, help with the balance in your brain and helps to regulate these. And so um, what Rosie mentioned before, um, you know, we, we don't um, – I suppose tell people not to stop taking their medications, but exercise can, without the advice of their doctor, but exercise can be a very, very strong, um, uh, have a very, very strong effect in regulating these, um, you know, mood disorders, psychiatric disorders. Also require exercise, um, and and mental health. So, yeah, to go back to your question, when we see uh, profound effects on mental health and improvement in health. Um, just with even up to 10 minutes a day.
0: So with the comment before about 45 minutes has a similar effect of one tablet. Um, what sort of impact does 10 minutes have? Because obviously we all live in a pretty busy world these days. There's a lot going on. A lot of negative news. Um, mm. you know, how does what does 10 minutes do for us?
3: Well, I think it's you know um, a, a sort of a start. Ideally, more exercise would be better if we can reach the physical activity guidelines even better and and it, it is and it is a and it is a dose response relationship so for 10 minutes for some people that may be all the time that they can afford and so in the re, in the research in cross sectional studies that we've seen in the US in Australia where they survey hundreds of thousands of people they find um, a correlation between that sort of a dose where if you could do 10 minutes per day then we see a reduction in um, mental health, uh, in an improvement in mental health. But as we improve the amount of exercise that we do, and we get up to that forty-five, that sixty minutes per day that the physical activity guidelines recommend, we see an even more, imp- a larger improvement in in our mental health. So
0: what if you do? What if you do over forty-five or sixty minutes? Does it does it still reward you after you do? Like if you did. not an hour and a half, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg's pretty well known for doing pretty extreme yeah. exercising. Uh, is that actually realistically beneficial or is that another extreme altogether?
3: Uh, well, I don't know specifically how much of a reduction after you get over a certain point, but the, our physical activity guidelines would recommend 60 minutes per day for adults um, and then that's broken down a little further. So it's moderate intensity. You want to do um, two days where you have a rest day in between of something that has an um, external resistance or load. And, and, and so beyond that, um, we're getting really into specifically if you want to talk about bodybuilding and chasing those types of goals or, or strength-building goals. But in terms of um, mental health, um, I think if you can hit that 30 minutes to 60 minutes per day, you're going to see some profound effects, starting at 10 minutes for those people who don't have too much time. Mm.
1: I think as well with the 10 minutes as, like a, as a constant and consistent, it is that routine and that regularity again. It's keeping that habit in the brain even on the days where low mood or high anxiety are trying to tell you not to do it. And because we know that they try to trick your brain, we know that they act as some of the best illusionists and... And give you a bunch of reasons why it isn't a good idea to do. Yeah. So at least hitting that ten minutes is maintaining that routine and it will help you feel a bit accomplished and, and satisfied, which again sends out those reward systems. Yeah,
3: I think for some people who um, aren't uh, in the habit of or in, exercising exercising in the routine of exercising, and we may even see sort of poorer mental health in these populations. Um setting a target of doing 30 minutes or 45 or 60 minutes may be quite difficult for some people. So just starting even at that 10 minutes to maintain or to, to, to develop a routine and, and build up from there is a great entry point.
2: Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, um, you've mentioned Mark Wahlberg a few times yeah. today. so Mate, He's a bit of a man crush, I don't know right? what's going on there. <laughs> oh, Mark, Marky Mark. I've heard it about five <laughs> times today. Um, I, I just want to touch on fruit from my experience and um, – and and what you're saying resonates with me because I, when when I go through my episodes of anxiety, um, people or doctors and professionals and and even my wife and family members they're pushing me to go for a walk, go get some fresh air, go for go get some sun, but I don't want to get up. I I got no motivation to do anything at all, but.
4: When you realize that
2: even if it's just for 10 minutes today, move it to 15 minutes tomorrow, the next day you f- might be feeling a little bit better, push it to f- 20 minutes. Before you know it, um, I was walking up to an hour and a half when I was at the back end of my last um, um, sort of um, triggers, that uh, the, the episodes that I've just recently have. So I'm a, I'm a testament to that and saying you've just got to push yourself and get the fresh air, put some headphones on. You know you don't want to do it, you know that, You'd rather be at home and sitting there where you're nice and safe because you think that everything is, is out to get you and all that sort of stuff. Um, exercise is such a key um, um, pusher. And my suggestion to that as well is go out and buy like a Fitbit or, or something where you can track it mm-hmm. and, and try and challenge yourself in your head to go, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to, instead of doing 5,000 steps, I'm going to try and get to 6,000, 7,000 mm-hmm. and then just progress it and, and, um, and try and improve on it every day. But um, don't eat into your sleep time. Well, sleep's a whole different thing. I mean I've taken a whole bunch of notes down here, Rosie, that I'm gonna revisit for myself on sleep because I, I I fit into a lot of those bad categories and
0: Well, I um, think we both do. We're not exactly Adonis of Healthy, well, but
1: um just... everybody does though. I think don't don't beat yourself up yeah. about it because then your brain's just gonna take that and it's gonna run with it. I think if you look at it that there's some things that are going well and some things that you don't like at the moment so let's try and very gently shift them into an area that's going to help them be more adaptive for you. I think all of us are just so horrible these days, are taking a bit of a sledgehammer to ourselves, that it's kind of like we actually take that perceived external stigma and use it internally with ourselves. Yeah. So make sure that you are breaking that cycle of not applying a stigma to yourself.
0: I agree and I know the couple of episodes I've had I've tried exercise before I've tried medication again because I just I just knew it worked I didn't know I didn't know why it worked but I knew it
2: worked with me it's a combination so mm-hmm. I will take sort of medications um, um, but I make sure that I know well I know for the first couple of weeks that I'm not going to do anything but I know that when I get through the other end, and and this this is the whole point of this podcast is to tell other people and other guys out there that if you do believe in that end of the tunnel and if you do these little baby steps and stuff that we've gone through and professional help that, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and and it won't happen overnight but it will every day get a little bit better just by making a few little changes like your diet, your exercise, um, all that sort of stuff contributes massively. And so far it sounds
0: like both of you are very well intertwined. So, if you drop exercise, you're not getting the full benefit, right? So, you've got to do both. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it is. It's uh, inextricably linked. Um, as like sleep and exercise, you have, the, as I said, with the hormones, they help to down regulate um, this fight or flight um, system that you have and, and put you into a more sort of parasympathetic, um, rest and digest type of state. And exercise will really help to regulate that and, and bring that about. Um, not only does it make you tired, but also chemically in the brain. So if you can combine the two, that's absolutely fantastic. And on the topic of exercise, um, I mean, not just in the traditional sense of exercise where you're doing things like lifting or walking or playing sport, there's, there's so many other things. And if, if exercise isn't your, your shtick, you can do lots of things, breathing techniques, meditation, yoga. You know, you won't necessarily have to drag yourself out, so to speak, if you don't want to. Um, can
0: we um, actually? Can I? Can we touch on that a moment? I mean, I, a lot of the exercise I've been talking, I've been involved in when I was a little fitter, was um, high intensity interval training, right? F forty five. Think F forty five. That's and I love it. I love those group sessions. A lot of people have lately been talking to me about yoga, and
1: can I say from my side that? Particularly if you if you think about that when stress fires off, your system is having cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline be pumped through it. So it's elevating you. If you go and you do a high-intensity circuit that's going to pump more adrenaline into you, it sometimes isn't always effective. You're just going to fill an already adrenaline-filled system more. So if you actually try and change tactics like Ben is saying with breathing techniques, yoga, tai chi – Things that are about down-regulating that system, you're helping, as you said, move back into that parasympathetic system where it's chilling everything out and letting it calm down a notch, as opposed to pumping it up. Mm.
3: Yeah. So that that's the problem with at, at night when people can't sleep is they have that issue with with with, with getting into that state. They're, they're they're so alert, and so melatonin helps to bring you into that state, and 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 that helps. When when it's when it's night the sun goes down and it becomes a bit dark. That's a signal to your brain for it to start releasing the, those that, those hormones. And then uh, similarly, when the sun comes up in the morning and the and, and, and the light shines through, that triggers the cortisol spike and it gets you up. And um, if you if you get really good sleep, it helps to regulate that. If you get regular routine and exercise in, it helps to regulate that as well. But for people who um have uh you know habits where they, they they aren't very routine in about the way that they exercise or in about the time where they go to sleep and the time where they wake up that's when you have find this imbalance of these hormones and and they wake up feeling tired you're probably more prone to mood swings and and it just affects your whole day it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle
1: it really does because you think about what most people do when you feel a bit knackered what's the first thing you grab mm
0: coffee. 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 I wasn't going to to admit it.
1: (laughs) Everyone does, but you grab a coffee. You might even grab a second one later in the day. And caffeine has a six-hour half-life, so a 12-hour quarter-life. So if you have a coffee at about two, a quarter of it's still swirling around in your brain when you've gone to sleep. So even if you feel tired and can sleep, it's impacting that deep REM It'll impact that cortisol spike that Ben mentioned in the morning. So rather than helping you, it make you feel alert in the morning, it'll fire off later in the morning. So you wake feeling not refreshed because of the coffee. You grab another one because you've knackered.
3: Did I send you my bio, did I? Or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what Rosie was saying before. If you get up and you can go outside for 10 minutes to 30 minutes, and just have direct sunlight, that's that's a, a, a trigger for you to wake up You get this cortisol spike and it wakes you up slowly and you feel really nice as opposed to having a, a hit of coffee and then feeling that six to 12 hours later still. Mm-hmm. Well, I so, guess
0: the nutrition side of it becomes mm-hmm. part of the fuel for, yeah. for the sleep and for the exercise. Yeah. Um, 100%. Which, you know, when we talk to Aletha, I'm sure we'll talk about coffee and yeah, and those things.
2: i, I, I got a question around coffee and and, and and only because we've brought up coffee and I'll try not to cross over with Aletha, but um, are there are there natural stuff you can do to try and help you go to sleep? Like there's a, I think there's a tale that peppermint tea or a tea or something like that will help. My wife um, gives me chamomile tea. Chamomile, yeah, that's another one. Is it, so is that a wise tale, or is that? Yeah. Real? So is, are there things that you can do to try and do that, <laughs> or is it just? Yeah? Or is it just a, a trigger for your brain? Yeah. It's not real, but yeah, yeah. I
1: feel like it's probably the trigger for the brain. <laughs> I feel like it's probably yeah, it's acting as that cue that sends the alert. I'll leave it to the nutritionist yeah. to, be able yeah. to kind of yeah. to spell it or not. In my mind, I'm like, oh, I don't know how much stock I'd taken it, <laughs> but at the same time, I do love a cup of tea in the evening. I don't know. But it's, yeah, I think that it'll be very interesting for you to speak to her about the nutrition side of things because we actually do know that without that quality sleep, it can't regulate the hormones that are responsible for regulating your appetite. So it means that you're more likely to grab that really dense food the next day that's probably processed, which again leads to poor sleep the next night.
0: Well, it sounds like these three are an excellent topic together, actually. Oh, um you know, I'm really looking forward to talking to Aletha and, and finding out, I know she talks a lot about vitamin D as well, and you both mentioned mm. the, the sunlight, so I'm sure that'll be a, a hot topic as well. Yep. So, um, yeah, look, it's, before you go, Ben, um, I do have a question, though. We, we all live pretty busy lives, mm. and we talked about trying to fit in that 10 minutes. Is there things we can do throughout the day, even amongst our workday, that can get a little bit of exercise mm. in while being kind of somewhat productive elsewhere? You know, we talk about things like those stand-up desks. Do they actually have an impact?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Less time sitting down is always better. Um, Another thing that I do personally is um, if you know you're about to jump into a meeting, you can pop some headphones in and do that while you go for a walk. Um, And, again, it may only just need to be 10 minutes if that's all the time that you can you can take. Maybe my, one of my
0: execs does that because every time I talk to him, he seems to be walking. Oh,
3: look, walk, walking has a great link to reducing all-cause mortality. So, you know, if you can get your steps in, uh that's great. And I think, you know, there was a bit of a walking pandemic during COVID when we were all locked down. And I think that was really great because I started walking around the streets and, and, you know, initially I was seeing maybe two or three people. And then by the first month I could I could have seen probably half of my street doing laps around the block. So, you know, um, I think if you can find 10 minutes. I was in Melbourne doing
0: that and I kept offsetting the walking with baking. So it didn't really have that great, <laughs> great an impact, right?
3: <laughs> uh, you still got to move while you're baking though. So that probably yeah, true, counts, true. you know, incidental activity. But that that's a really good one for people who are at work that tend to be at their desk a lot. You know, if you can get the standing desk, that's great. But if you can also put a bit of walking in maybe when you're doing a meeting, that's also really fantastic. Things that work really well is maybe if you have an accountability buddy, somebody else in the office that you could go and walk to grab something with um, down the street, perhaps to the local shops or or even um, people work really well when they monitor themselves. So if you just do up a little calendar, or you mark off the days you're supposed to walk and if you do 10 minutes, give yourself a tick there and, and it's sort of somewhere in your line of vision, It's a good little prompt, visual cue to to say, okay, I haven't done that today, so I'm going to go and find some time in my day to do that.
0: All right. Is there a quick one just to both of you? Is there anything we didn't ask that you desperately want to mention?
1: I feel like there's
0: loads. Oh, no, I was asking that question going, oh, how much time have we got? (laughs)
1: Well, I guess I have a bit of a funny or funny, non-funny one for you. But I guess just kind of to summarize on my side, because we do obviously know that there is even a little bit of a stigma around sleep itself, that if you get more sleep, you're kind of lazy or you slack. So even with that, we need to break down that, I guess, stigma that surrounds getting enough sleep, particularly considering I've got three men in front of me. For men that consistently sleep only five to six hours a night it has been scientifically proven that your balls are significantly smaller <laughs> than that of a male that gets, that gets seven to nine hours of sleep a night.
0: Wow. Listen, I think you've nailed the psych of a male. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All and right, tonight I'm going to make night. sure I get nine hours tonight. Again,
1: and because I guess where that leads to as well is that if you consistently, as a male, only have that amount of hours per night, your testosterone level will also be the equivalent of someone 10 years senior to you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we know from research that a lack of sleep biologically ages a male, and we see the same issues in female reproductive systems too, but we know that in men it, it ages you by 10 years, quite quite literally from a biological level.
0: I think that's an excellent Final point, and, mm. and Ben, if you have
3: anything, something that, that you can compare to that, <laughs> I don't know if I can change as many behaviours as you. You might have just seen Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, oh, I think we've covered a fair bit. I, I, I guess I'd like to just add because you talked about Mark Warburton. Um, <laughs> Happy to talk he's about Mark. Yeah, he's going up. <laughs> I think I think we can be healthy at any size, and I'd like to just reiterate that you don't you don't have to look like these Hollywood stars or the people you see in magazines or movies. Um, you can be very healthy at any size, and and that starts with you know your your diet, your exercise, and and your sleep. And you might not necessarily look like Mark Wahlberg, even if you get all of those things right. Um, but for the person who does who doesn't get those things right, you can be you know, real lean, real skinny and you might not be as healthy as the person beside you who's much bigger if they're getting those things right. So I think that's a really important point to make. So mm, good yeah. health at every size. Yeah,
2: that's a good message. Look, we, we can't thank you enough. We um we can't do this without continued support uh, from professionals and look we'd love to have you guys as regulars we, we understand that your work is pretty demanding and um, you know you kept very busy but um, as I sort of mentioned we we want to um, try and get as much information from our listeners and get them to email in with questions and then we'll put them into different categories and and um, I'm sure Chris you'll agree that you know we'd love to have you guys back on in the future and we just can't thank you enough for your time and Noni as well mm. I mean yeah we just we just can't thank you enough
0: so personally I've, I've really enjoyed enjoyed chatting to both of you. As I said, through our journeys, we've both had issues with sleep. We've both had issues with exercise, with exercise diet, uh, and diet. And I think this is such an important topic, mm. uh, a small topic, but mm. uh, with a lot of content. Mm. Um, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I, I, I love the way we engaged and, yep. and the funny story at the end. So well done. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we, let's uh, get on to Alif here and start talking food. Yep. Get it right Yeah.
3: All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you very thanks much. You. Thanks, thanks, guys. guys. You again soon. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks.
0: Have a nice one. All right. I think um, that's been great catching up uh, around sleep uh, and exercise, and we're just going to move on to now to uh, Alethea from Alethea Mills Nutrition, uh, and she's going to be part of this uh, this conversation in regards to how we can look after ourselves through eating. Um, and how that can help us uh, mentally as well. So welcome, Alethea, Um and thank you for joining in the podcast tonight. Uh, and, you know, please tell us a bit about yourself and, um, and what you're up to.
4: Yeah, love to. Thanks so much for having me on. I think what you are both doing is amazing. It's much needed. I think so many of us are affected Uh, with mental health and family, personally, ourselves and friends. So firstly, yeah, hats off to you both for doing it. And it's an absolute pleasure to be on and have a chat about nutrition and how that can impact health as well. So a little bit about me. Um, I work as a clinical nutritionist for over two decades. I was working in hospitality and got into my mid-30s and had some health issues of my own. Um, predominantly was anxiety and iron deficiency anemia. So I spent quite a few years in the medical world, seeing GPs, trying to get answers and help to what I was feeling and what was happening with not a lot of improvement. And I started doing a bit of research on my own and a little bit of research on food and how that impacts mood and also with iron deficiency And found that I got a great deal of improvement over quite a short period with changing those things in my life. So that was sort of the beginning of the peak of my interest in nutrition. And then I went on to study a Bachelor of Health Science in Nutrition and Dietetics.
0: And it took you out of hospitality altogether, eh?
4: <laughs> yeah, so I st- actually started as part time studying. I thought I'll see if I like it because I did love hospitality, but I got to an age where I was a bit overdoing the weekends, and um, <laughs> yeah, so I started to go doing part time and absolutely loved it. And then ended up leaving my job at the hotel and finished my study full time, and then opened my own business in clinical nutrition, and I've been running that now for three years.
0: Um, you know tell it you mentioned mood already so that's the the hot topic today so how does nutrition impact the mood I mean that's probably a really broad question right
4: (laughs) there is there's so many there's so many areas to cover with nutrition and mood but essentially I think to break it down simply we are literally what we eat so the food that we have is the building blocks for everything we need in our body so when we're talking about mood that's our neurotransmitters. So the ones that would be familiar to a lot of people are things like dopamine and serotonin, adrenaline. So these are actually made up from the food that we eat. So if our diet is lacking, we simply don't have the building blocks to make those in the body. We can also end up with vitamin and mineral deficiencies if our diet is poor and lacking in certain foods. And they're required as what's known as cofactors for those neurotransmitters so for those to work we also need the vitamins and minerals so that's a very very quick recap on why diet's really important and obviously having enough energy or calorie intake to be able to produce those within the body.
2: I've learned something already (laughs) um I guess with guess with me um I've never really gone down that path so I've suffered from anxiety as well and um over the last sort of 10 to 12 years but I've never I've never really thought about food and how that could um, help with serotonin levels I, I, I just naturally thought that it was a chemical that just produces in the body by itself to, to bring those levels up but um, I'm, I'm you've got my attention now because I, I'd love to know what what foods help those those levels in, in particular but before we go on today I just wanted to go back to vitamin D because um, you mentioned that in, in the introduction. Can you just explain vitamin D, what it is, why we need it? Because it's sort of part of the conversation we had before um, around getting sun and, and first thing in the morning, sitting out in the back in half an hour and doing that sort of stuff. But can you just give a brief overview on vitamin D? Because I thought that was a very key part of what you were talking about as well. And does it affect men the same as women? Is it the same for, for both? Is it? Yeah.
4: yeah, look, vitamin D, so it's actually a hormone, not a vitamin. And and the sun exposure is incredibly important. You may have gone over this in your sleep episode, um, but with the sun exposure, we actually absorb it better than having it supplementing or through food. So when we're exposed to that sunshine, the sun hits our skin and it converts in our skin. Then it goes through to the liver and it converts into a form that the body can use, so an active form. So with vitamin D and mood, what they're looking at is it's actually through the immune system that it's affecting mood. So low levels of vitamin D are seen with higher levels of inflammation. So if there's inflammation in the body, so systemic inflammation, kind of look at that, it go inflamed body, inflamed brain, and then the neurotransmitters don't function as they should. It's also seen with studies that lower levels of vitamin D are associated with higher levels of cortisol, which is our stress hormone. So you're probably familiar with that one. Um, So they're both correlated there, but they think it's really to do with inflammation and the immune system. So you can get vitamin D from food. So from fatty fish, so things like trout, ocean trout, salmon, egg yolks and butter so there are forms that you can get in vitamin d or fortified foods as well so there are cereals that are fortified with vitamin d Um, but definitely sun exposure safe sun exposure being a redhead i'm pretty pretty careful on the safe sun exposure part but um getting that sun exposure is is really important as well so and while we're talking about that just going back to sleep Having enough quality sleep actually helps the receptors for us to be able to absorb vitamin D. So there's so many factors if we've got poor sleep of how that all links through to mental health. So if we're not getting enough quality sleep, we can't actually absorb the vitamin D and then that's then affecting mood through inflammation. So it sort of ends up going around on a bit of a circle.
0: So at the moment, I'm actually on vitamin D tablets um, because Supplement. I'm yep. uh, supplements, um, because I'm deficient, which is the first time I've yep. ever been deficient of vitamin D, and I think it's because I'm in Darwin, I'm inside all the time because it's too hot. I've actually went to the doctor and I've got some swelling in one of my hands. Yeah, okay. So that that could be related. Is that what you're sort of suggesting, or
4: so depending? Like if you were looking at your blood test, so uh,
0: I mean, I know that's really hard to sort of throw that question at you without reviewing everything else that comes with with that diagnosis but i'm just putting it in a
3: simple form
4: yeah could be yeah so of course that the vitamin d is often associated with higher inflammation the swelling could be part of an inflammatory response in the body it could be fluid i mean it could be a lot of other things that are going on but with that how long and with vitamin d it depends what type you're supplementing with so any supplement that you have will have different types. So if we look at something like magnesium, which is a big supplement for anxiety and depression, there's different forms of magnesium. Some forms of magnesium to help with constipation, some with anxiety. So it's the same with vitamin D, you can actually get vitamin D forms that are already active. So the form that's in the liver, and that can help with supplementation a lot faster as well.
0: Okay. Well, then that comes me. That reminds me of a story. I had a skin check probably about ten years ago, and the doctor at the time said to me, "The best time to get some sunlight is to go into your backyard uh, in the morning." And he actually recommended completely nude stand outside for mm-hmm. about fifteen minutes. Yep. Is that a real thing? Because I've never done yep. it. So. Well, maybe. Yeah. I did. But... <laughs>
4: <laughs> well. What well, you could do as well. So being, being a fat-soluble, so it's a fat-soluble hormone. So I will often tell people you, if you expose your belly, so we've generally got a bit more fat on there. Thighs are a good part as well. So that just helps you absorb. So the more surface area you've got exposing the sun. Just be <laughs> careful of where you're going nude, <laughs> but um, that does help with the absorption as well. But being fat soluble, you also awesome
2: chuck some speedos on.
4: <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> um, being a fat soluble hormone, you also need to make sure that your liver and your gallbladder are functioning really well. So, though that's where your bile comes from which breaks down fat in the body. So you need to make sure that's functioning well to be able to absorb the supplements you're having.
2: A lot of info there. That's good. So um, coming back to um, the food that helps with, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but food that helps with the serotonin levels, I'd I'd be really interested to know a little bit about that because that's something I could sort of implement into my diet um, to try and help. Because funny enough, I've never... I've never really spoken to anyone professionally around, look, they've always said you've got to eat better and cleaner and this and that, but not actually breaking it down, saying, well, this could actually help produce serotonin or help it along or whatever. Um, yeah, so I'd be, I'd be interested yeah, to, to know absolutely. a bit more
4: about that. And do you, I think that's often what happens. It's this really broad, just eat better. And then you thought, well, what does that actually mean? What does that, what does that look like? And I get really conscious of sort of this clean food movement because it demonizes a lot of foods as well and can lead to poor relationships with food. But, um, So looking at, to make your neurotransmitters, so the easiest way I look to break it down, so there's a couple of areas. So if we look at three key areas, there's protein, omega, so omega-3s and plant foods. So I'll just touch on all of those, but protein is your big one that's in there. So I always look at protein as the house that we live in. So if we just look at a chicken breast, for example, as a random bit of protein and looking at that as the house, So protein is made up of all individual amino acids, which I see as the building blocks. So all the individual bricks that build that house. So you think of amino acids, you might've heard ones like glutamine, leucine, lysine. If anyone's gone to the gym, it's usually all the, it's always linked to bodybuilding and different amino acids, but they're like the bricks that build the house. So when we consume a piece of chicken, That's broken down in the gut and broken down into individual little amino acids that go out into the bloodstream. And then the body decides what it needs. So to then make serotonin or dopamine, it then selects individual amino acids or bricks and then builds what it needs in the body. So if you're not consuming enough food that it has enough amino acids to make what it needs, you end up without the dopamine and serotonin. So you can look at, so looking at white blood cells for the immune system, they need protein as well. So the body will always look after what it deems to be the most important thing at the time. So if you're under, if you've got an infection or a viral illness, which everyone seems to be having of late, you are going through a lot more protein and a lot more amino acids at that time. And then if we look, well, sort of touch a bit on serotonin. And there's also um, GABA, which is another GABA's a big one for anxiety. So GABA is a compound that actually it's an inhibitory. Compound, So it calms the nervous system. So it's incredibly important with anxiety. So the amino acid we need for that is glutamine. So that's found. So any of these amino acids and proteins you get predominantly from animal foods, but you can get from plant foods as well. So things such as tofu, eggs, borderline animal there, um, lentils, beans, and those sorts of foods. But I love one of the ways to look at GABA, so GABA is a calming neurotransmitter. If we look at something like alcohol, which is one area we can touch on, that really increases the feelings of anxiety. But in the body, the body's always about homeostasis or finding balance. So when we have a drink or have alcohol, it can give us that calming effect. So what it's doing is increasing dopamine But it actually decreases another compound called glutamate, which causes anxiety. So we feel good for a little bit. Then we can wake up in the morning and the body's desperately trying to bring that back into balance. So it produces a lot more glutamate and then we get that anxiety after drinking. So that's one way of looking at how the body tries to keep that in balance. Um, But essentially to make that GABA, we need the protein and amino acids.
2: Mm, it's interesting with with alcohol sorry sorry with alcohol in specific like that that's really good to know because um you won't know this because it's the first time we're sort of meeting but um it sort of comes out in a podcast that one of the big triggers for me was alcohol that was bringing bringing this on and it, we only found out probably um say i've had like five episodes of anxiety probably until like the third one or fourth one where they've said you know what alcohol is just no good for you you gotta sort of stop it and and i stopped it just cold turkey bang um and i didn't have any issues for five years and then all of a sudden i got a little bit sick i got covid and stuff and 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 automatically the anxiety sorry the anxiety came back and i had a wave of it and for six to eight weeks i was feeling terrible but in that six to eight weeks i never once stopped and thought about the food that i'm eating it was more about hey, I've got to take this tablet because this is going to get me to the levels I need to be and, and yeah, it's going to take six to eight weeks. But I, I've never stopped and gone, oh, actually, this this could be helping me. If anything, I sort of go, oh, I don't want to eat anything. I've lost all my appetite, appetite and stuff like that. and. yeah. Um, I think it's I think that's really important yeah but sorry I I cut you off you're talking about serotonin no um, no that alcohol just it's me so
4: and interesting that you say that so anxiety with alcohol is really big I actually wrote a short blog on it a while back called hangxiety because it was this overwhelming feeling of anxiety that I had experienced and when I started talking to people about it I realized how common that was and so me being sort of the science mind that I am, I was like, why is that? Why does that happen? It's not because something bad's happened the night before, but what, what's actually going on? So it's just always, the body is always trying to look after us, even though it appears like it's not sometimes, it's always trying to find a balance. So it's sort of what goes up must come down. So that's sort of with the alcohol there, but yet yeah, serotonin is another one. So when we look at the particular amino acid for serotonin it's called tryptophan so again with tryptophan that's from animal foods but things um, turkey is a really great source of that tryptophan but I often use supplementation so if people are in an active state of anxiety or depression we can use supplements and get those doses in very high so we can get the symptoms regulated in a short period and then we focus on diet where I always think food is incredible uh, but you sometimes need to get to that regulated state for the food to then come in and do the job that it needs to do.
0: I've got a bit of a a loaded question based on this then and I don't know how you can answer it but coming back to the the supplements that I'm taking at the moment I am anti-tablet and I often feel that there's ways to be better at that without having a tablet. I think tablets serve a purpose. And I'm not going to say don't take tablets. Um, but I've just found that there's been times where I've taken them for a short period to, to stabilise myself, but then I find that when I target certain foods and exercise and sleep better, I actually get a better effect. And coming back to um, the vitamin D, you, you made a comment before that you absorb the sun better than supplement, and I don't know if I misheard that. Would with me taking that supplement mm-hmm. every morning, it would pro- is it more beneficial to go out and actually be naked? Absolutely. Then <laughs> taking that, then that tablet. <laughs> Not for the neighbours,
3: but uh,
4: <laughs> look, and like we say depending. Obviously, I don't know your bloods, and I haven't looked holistically at what's happening in your body. But as a general rule, you always want to be able to get your nutrients from food or from the sun for vitamin D. However, if you're in a deficient state, that's where supplementation is very helpful, just to get you where you need to be fast. Because with low vitamin D, you become immunocompromised. There's so many other factors that can happen and then you can end up getting sick and you kind of go on this downward spiral there so getting your vitamin d up absolutely is really important but then you want to be able to maintain that with going out and laying naked in your yard <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, speedos. speedos mate speedos um I'm, I'm really intrigued by this because i'll tell you i'll tell you my i'll tell you my situation um to try and relate to that so outside of when i'm in a um uh, anxious state and I go like zero to a hundred over a short period of time. I'm in this state. Um, the only thing that, that I really know because I've been through it is I've got to take medication. I've got to go see a doctor. I've got to do all these steps because I know it gets me back on track, but once I'm back off track, once I'm back on track, and this is one of the common things we're talking about in the podcast is, and this is what I'm trying to push in the agenda on the podcast is, you forget about it because you're flying and you're back to yourself and you're doing things that you were doing way before. It's not a problem until it's a problem again. So one of the things that I wanted to sort of talk about is say, um, you know, how can you do this consistently and not just do it when you're in a bit of strife? And then I guess the second question to that would be, when I do go into these states, I do take antidepressants because I do find that they, they do help me. They don't agree with everyone, of course, but they do help me to get me to where I am. Is it a good thing to mix those antidepressants with the supplements? Um, I guess would be my question because I have a of supplements. I mean, I've heard of, um, is it St. John's Wort uh, for anxiety? I think was one of them. I
4: think- Yeah, so St. John's Wort is generally used in depression. I'm not a naturopath or herbalist, so that's not mine. So with nutrition, it would be tryptophan. Um, So 5-HTP is an amino acid that would then... So if we're looking at bringing people off antidepressants, we will work in line with their GP and slowly minimise dose of antidepressants and add in 5-HTP. So it's not a stop antidepressants and then you're left kind of out there hanging. So it's just that slow titration. With anxiety, we use things like theanine. So theanine is actually an extract from green tea. But to get the effect of theanine from green tea, you'd have to have about 33 cups of green tea, which is never going to (laughs) happen. So, But um, theanine is actually used in panic attacks and anxiety. So that's got a really calming effect without um drowsiness yeah so that's and also GABA so that neurotransmitter that's calming you can actually supplement that as well so I tend to use those in acute states with patients or they can have them handy that if they do have an attack of anxiety they can have those on hand but as you're saying it's then maintaining with food once we're out of those states so protein's a big one and then vegetables which a whole nother set of podcasts is about the gut microbiome and the gut microbiota so the trillions of bugs that live in the gut and feeding those with plant foods and fibers so there's a lot of research now starting to be done about the link between different gut bugs and um, mood and the health of the brain as well mm. So whichever I, I wants to, to, to hear, it's always the I, nutritionist I, thing of eating vegetables, but there's a reason why.
2: <laughs> I I could talk for hours and hours and hours on this because I do I do find it very intriguing and it does hit home for me. One of the little things I've done since I've gone through my latest um, um, anxiety state, I guess you can call it, is I switched my breakfast so that I'm not doing the bacon and the egg roll or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the scrambled eggs or whatever. I'm, I'm actually going down a path of Asahi bowls now. And I can't get enough of them in the morning. I, I absolutely love Asahi bowls. And I actually feel really good after eating them if they're done <laughs> properly. Um, yeah. I had a mate from um, cans, and I took him to a cafe and he picked it straight away that it wasn't um, fresh. It was out of a, a pump machine. Um, so that's one small little thing. But after, after I eat something like that, I feel I feel amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm intrigued. And as I said, I could talk about this for hours and hours. I've got,
0: got another question now. Yeah. Is that, how, is that how you pronounce it? Asahi?
4: Yeah. Asahi. I
2: think so.
4: Asahi. asahi however asahi. you like.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm not sitting out in my backyard in a nude, mate, every morning. All right?
0: <laughs> it, it's amazing when you see it. Obviously, I'm involved in restaurants. It's amazing when you see it on the menu how many different variations of that word
4: there are. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's hilarious.
2: Yeah. Right, one was good up in Darwin the other day. Where was that? That was beautiful. <laughs>
4: they are they are delicious and I think when you're in the heat they're they're amazing but yeah listening to everyone's pronunciations is priceless (laughs) I always think it's like when quinoa came out like that became sort of a big food it was like this quinoa noise (laughs) I love it (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, quinoa. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, you are touching look, we probably can't go on uh, too long, but I do want to ask uh, – obviously, I've got two young kids yep. and I'm, I'm struggling Definitely. to get them to have vegetables, but I'm finding um, the NutriBullet is my trickery. best friend at the I think it was a smoothies and stuff. <laughs> well, and I mean, blending them, you like are still retaining all of your
4: nutrients and fibre, so the if you're veg, juicing and- – fruits and vegetables again not that it's bad but you're losing all of the fiber that goes in there so for you to have an apple juice so to speak you're going to need four or five apples to get a glass of apple juice and essentially you are getting the sugar out of the apple you're losing the fiber which balances the sugar in the body and you're consuming a lot more energy out of that drink whereas when you're having the smoothie you do have all of the fibre still in there. You can actually, although smoothies for adults, for kids, it's not too much of a problem, but if adults, if anyone is watching their weight, smoothies can be a really easy way to overconsume calories. Like if we think about even just making a smoothie of banana and a bit of coconut water and adding all these ingredients in, you actually consume a lot more in that sitting than you would if you just sat there and ate a banana on its own but smoothies are great for kids any way that you can get the vegetables in there i actually make a carrot cake overnight oats which is a great way to get carrots into the kids um and lots anything like mm. making a spaghetti bolognese sneak it all in where you can beetroot brownies Ooh. is a good one for the kids as well so beetroot brownies okay delicious i'm gonna try
2: because <laughs> i love beetroot and i love brownies so i'm gonna try them for myself
4: I'll send you the recipe. Yeah.
2: Please, please, please. I've made them. They're
0: actually really fun. I guess closing remarks, Aletheo, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you think would be really important Um, to highlight? Look, I think
4: you've done, like, because you've done your um, episode with sleep and exercise. But I think it's that the focus on the holistic approach. Nutrition is an absolute, obviously, not just being a nutritionist, but it is the foundation for health. Without that, and so I think it sounds so cliche, but we are literally what we eat. If we're not eating quality food, so it's not just necessarily about energy or calorie intake, it's the actual quality of food that we're eating to be able to get those quality health outcomes. So nutrition is a foundation, but I think it's all of those other factors, which is a lot of what I work with in clinic, but it's sleep, it's movement, it's our social networks. It's who we spend time around, professional help when it's needed. And probably my big one for mental health is always social media and news. Keep that to an absolute minimum. That just sets off our whole cortisol and stress response without us, even knowing it a lot of the time would just be scrolling through and our body's going through a whole stress response in that time. But I mean, there's a lot with sleep and uh, vitamin D exercise and exercise is actually another one that produces when you were saying Chris about sort of movement and how that can help with um, anxiety and the feelings Exercise actually increases GABA, which is that calming neurotransmitter, plus all the endorphins you get from exercise as well. So, but yeah, I think that fact that it is very holistic. So the sleep and exercise that you've spoken about previously and then adding in nutrition is key to it all.
2: Levy, I think it's great. As I said, I could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours and and just sit, sitting here and having a chat to you now, um, I reckon that there, there is an episode, like a full episode based on nutrition. So um, look, we, we've learned a lot so far from this whole journey. Um, we, uh, we One of the things that we have done in a podcast is had an interview with a counsellor as well. And and again, it's one of those steps that we we don't, well, I've never thought of, but when you go into that state, the thing for me is to go straight to your GP, get into a psychologist as quick as you can, um, and then go down that path. We don't actually stop and go, well, hang on. We can go see a counsellor before we go and see a psychologist. We can go see a nutritionist first to see what we can do to try and get that right. And, and this is what we want to um, encourage and get, get people to do because that is such a, an important step. So tell us a little bit about um, – your business and who you are, and, and give yourself a plug, and, and where people can get a hold of you, because it's really important. And we'll make sure that we um, put it up on our website and, and give you a shout out on, on social media as well. So,
4: yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, so I'm based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, but I work online, so all of my consults are done via Zoom. So obviously that opens up to national and international, which has been. Awesome. Um, people can find me at alethianutrition.net.au or on Instagram alethea mills underscore nutrition, which is where you'll find me most of the time. So anyone can hit me up at both of those and uh, to ask any questions or have a chat and see if I can help. But it's been a pleasure and yeah, I'd love to talk to you more at Anytime.
0: I think uh, I think we're finding very quickly that every time we have one of these conversations there's a lot more questions that need answering and um, uh, each of the people on, on this episode with Rosemary and Ben and yourself, I think we're going to end up having individual 100%. episodes uh, in time. And you even flagged social media, which I think could be an, an episode in itself as well. So there's, there's going to be a lot more content coming uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I know you've had a very busy week Well, uh, very busy year yeah. but um you know we, we uh really do appreciate <laughs> yeah. it and i think it's really important we start off small and that's what today was about um and then we'll dig a bit deeper in time and uh yeah just uh, thank you and um chris uh, if
2: there's anything else you want to add yeah i was just going to say like yeah, no, not-
4: thank you what you're doing as well
2: like I was just going to say, like I'm learning things in all these podcasts. Like Gabba, I've never, I've never heard of. I like Gabba, I think cricket, I think Brisbane. You know, <laughs> I, I don't actually think about these things. So what I do is I'm taking notes here on the side, and I'm actually making notes that I'm going to look into. One of the things we want to do is a um spe- we want to do a podcast on COVID. So um, that's something yeah. you know we, we'd love to get you involved with in the future as well. i talking about how nutrition can help us just in general with our immune system and so on. So. Yeah, look, it's really insightful. Some of the stuff we spoke about, you've hit a few nerves with me because I am that person and, and I I think going for this whole um, podcast, I, I've learnt that there's a lot more things I can do to help myself day to day rather than getting into that hole and then trying to dig myself out of it out again. Um, that I'm yeah. going to try and bring into sort of everything. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you very yeah, much.
4: Sure. My pleasure. Great to be on. Have a great afternoon.